0: This is Bob DeRosa, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 63. Well, today I'm so excited to bring you an interview with television and feature writer Bob DeRosa. Now, Bob, you may know from the recent movie Killers and also from White Collar on USA. We're going to get to his bio in just a second. Uh, I wanted to mention a big milestone for the TV Writer podcast, and that is that the TV Writer Twitter database has now hit 960 writers. As we know, advancing in this industry is a lot about who you know. And so one great way to do that to get to know people is to connect with them on Twitter. 960 writers, great resource. You can find that at tvwriterpodcast.com. You'll find lots of other resources like links to massive databases of free scripts. And also, I do want to mention if you want to donate to support the podcast and to my upcoming LA move, there's a link there to do that. And there are great rewards available, including advertising on the podcast, consulting, and lots more. Do check that out at tvwriterpodcast.com. Now, the Bio on Bob De Rosa where Bob De Rosa comes from nice guys finish first The Florida-born screenwriter recently finished his first season as a writer on the hit USA show White Collar. He previously wrote Lionsgate's action comedy Killers, starring Ashton Kutcher and Katherine Heigl, and co-wrote director Jiho Lee's crime drama The Air I Breathe. After graduating from the University of Florida, Bob returned home to Orlando and became a leading figure in the city's thriving theater and film community. In addition to co-founding the award-winning comedy troupe Them, Bob spent three years programming for the Florida Film Festival. After relocating to Los Angeles, Bob wrote two evenings of one-act plays and is a regular contributor to the ongoing late-night series Serial Killers at Sacred Fools Theater in Hollywood. When he's not writing, Bob studies Kenpo Karate and spends time with his Lady Jen and their three kids who look suspiciously like cats. In today's interview, Bob is going to debunk some myths. Get ready. Here we go. This is Gray, and I'm here with TV and feature writer Bob DeRosa. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing good, Gray. How you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. And I think this is going to be really, really cool. Um, it, we've been... For the first 60 episodes of the podcast, it's been a lot of, about people's life stories. But what I've been trying to get to now is, uh, is talking about topics and concepts of writing. And you mentioned a few in an email to me that I think are going to be a big hit, and I can't wait to get to those. But first of all, we do want to establish who you are. Um, you grew up in Florida. When did you know that you wanted to write?
0: I mean, I've been writing my, my entire life. I wrote my first short story when I was six years old. So I was always the kid that was writing, like everybody in school knew me as that. It wasn't until high school that I was like, I tried to write a novel, and I was like, no, I'm bored describing everything. I just want to get to the action and to the dialogue, and that's kind of where I clicked where I'm like, oh, maybe I want to write movies. And... Uh, so it was kind of, I had an inkling of it in high school, it wasn't really until I got to college and I started making short films and started writing scripts and basically doing everything that I'd care about my major that I realized, you know what, I think this is, a, this is my path uh, for better and for worse.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you did some comedy as well at, around that time. How did that come about?
0: Well, I mean, I, after college, I went to the University of Florida, I grew up in Orlando and then University of Florida, then right back to Orlando and we had this moment in time when we thought we were going to be Hollywood East and that's. But everybody marketed the town as, so was, mm-hmm. everyone was really excited, and and then you get back, and then you realize that it was it was a myth, I mean, there was production happening, but there was a lot of, you know, projects coming in, shooting, and then leaving, so there wasn't, you know, a lot of ways to kind of break in as a writer there, so uh, it was just a matter of just kind of taking advantage of what the, the city had to offer, and I, I came up in this amazing moment in time in Orlando, where it was just, I mean fantastic improv, an incredible fringe festival, which is, you know, a big international theater festival. You had probably the best, you know, uh, Southeastern Film Festival, and the Florida Film Festival it was right here at the Indian Theater. And you kind of had access to all that. So literally, I started doing improv at Stack and the SAC Comedy Lab, sorry, which is uh, where Wayne Brady got his start and Jonathan Mangum and a bunch of those guys. And then, you know, that's where I got my start, and then me and a bunch of guys broke off and formed our own group called FEM, Them T-H-E-M. mm I was doing, you know, we, we became super successful in, in town. We toured the Canadian Fringe Circuit. We did a show with Kevin Nealon back in the day. It was like one of those things where it was like I was doing improv with with them and I was uh, a, a programmer for the uh, the Florida Film Festival. I was writing and directing theater uh, at the back in school called Heart Shake, which is still there. I still doing amazing work. And it was just, it was just one of those cities where you could kind of put your hand, you know, put, dip your toe into everything. And, uh, and uh, so I was. I was. I was essentially a jack of all trades. I was literally voted Renaissance man by the uh, Orlando Weekly mm-hmm. at one point, just because I was literally involved in pretty much just about every sort of every sort of artistic endeavor you could be involved in. At the same time, I'm writing and directing short films with, with my friends, and I was writing screenplays. I was like the last on my list. Was writing screenplays. So I would be writing, you know, feature scripts from like midnight till four in the morning, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those where. Uh, I kind of had that moment that me was like, oh, I've I've done everything I can do here. And so it was a moment of like, uh, I think, you know, it's time to go. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, it was about taking stock of all those different interests, all those things that I love to do and going, well, what's my priority? Why am I moving here? And uh, I just had that moment. I was like, you know, I'm here to write scripts. I'll do some improv on the side with my friends, but I am here to be a screenwriter. And um, I think moving to Los Angeles and, Laying down the law like that way with myself is, uh, was was uh, one of the best moves I ever did.
2: Hmm.
1: And so um, the air I breathe was around that time. Uh, was that the first big
0: thing? That's my first produced credit. Yeah. I mean, it was it wasn't the first big thing. I, I, I'd already been working about a year after I moved to Los Angeles. I got my first uh, studio job. I, I wrote. I, I wrote. a, I sold a pitch to up uh, Revolution Studios. Which I don't think it really exists anymore, but that you know, Todd Gunner used to be uh, uh president of production over there, now he's, you know, a huge producer and does big movies. And I think here comes the boom is his new movie that's coming out soon. But uh so Todd Gunner and uh his exec Navid Michael R. the company film engine right now, and Navi's Naveed huge big tech and producer. So those two guys gave me my first job in Hollywood. And but I was writing so I was writing studio jobs but none of them were really moving forward. And at the same time, um G O Lee who was a director, I met at the Florida Film Festival way back in the day. When I moved to Los Angeles, he came to me and said, hey, I want to do my, you know, my debut feature. And he had this idea for four intertwining stories based on this old, uh, you know, this old uh, Chinese myth. And so he had, uh, uh, he came to me with this. And at first he wanted to shoot it in Korea. And we, and we, we worked on it for a while. And then eventually decided to, you know, set it, you know, and, and set it in the West and, we spent two years on it, and that's the script that became there I Breathe.
1: Very cool. And, and so yeah. when that came out, um, did that really change things for you, or was it still um, just as much work? And, and tell me how you got from that to Killers.
0: What happened was I had like – I was one of those guys who when I first started – I think most writers are this way. Your manager who you trust is a smart person. says, hey, we need to figure out how to brand you, how to put you in a box. And most writers, their first thinking is to go, no, I want to write everything because I'm a multifaceted person. So I had literally like a little romantic dramedy. I had an across-time zombie-killing movie. I had <laughs> all these samples, and nobody knew. And I had fans. People loved what I did, but nobody knew what quite what to do with me. And so then the air breeze happened, and air breeze is like that sort of movie, multiple genres, tons of big ensemble. It was, uh, you know, very, you know, very much an independent film, but people loved the script and, and they you know, Gio's a fantastic director. So, you know, they were really excited about, you know, you know, the film itself, but like Gino was editing Air I Breathe and I was like, Hey, I'm available now. I should go back to work. And mm-hmm. I couldn't use Air I Breathe as my example because I'd go over a Gino, And that was just one of the things about the business that I learned. I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> so my, oldest, my my best script was like several years old and people had already read it. So like I had no new sample. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I have this, you know, this film in, in, in post with this amazing cast and this visionary director and I can't work. And it just made me really mad. So I, <laughs> I sat down and I was just like, I'm going to take everything I love about writing, everything I love to see in movies. I'm going to put it all into one movie. And it was kind of like I had a ship on my shirt, I had something to prove. And so I'm like, you know, what am I about? I was just like, I want to do high concept action that's character driven, that's, uh, you know, romantic, but not a big love story. It's funny, but not an outright comedy. And, you know, it's meaningful and emotional. And I, I put all that stuff into one story. And, uh, that's the script, that's the script I wrote called Five Killers. And, uh, that was, that's the script that changed my life. And it, you know, went, you know, went through development and became the movie Killers. But literally, from the moment I sat down in my little Burbank apartment and started writing till it was on, you know, 3,000 screens or 2,500 screens or whatever, it was about a four-year journey, which is not that long, really.
1: Oh, for features, that's pretty short. Yeah. Very cool. Now, now, Killers must have opened some doors.
0: It did, yeah. It did. It was very interesting because it did open doors right at the time that everybody decided they weren't really gonna make anything <laughs> or <laughs> buy anything. So it was like it was film came out in two thousand ten. The crash happened, well around two thousand nine, the mm. economic crash and speaking up. So basically two thousand ten was about the worst time in the world to try and sell something. Mm. So there was the economic crash, we had the the ramifications of the writer's strike, we're just all these things that happened were this the studio started just contracting. Mm. So I wrote I wrote another spec, which I went out with, and people liked really liked the writing, but it, you know, was more of an ensemble. It was just star-driven vehicles, and nobody bought it. And then, you know, we tried. I got a couple of pitches, and nobody was buying anything, and it was just a really dark, desolate, (laughs)
2: super straight writing.
0: So it was like it was like it was such a it was such an interesting moment because I mean. I had a great deal in place. I got to buy a house. I, I had the most success I've ever seen in the industry. And then I had all these doors, tons of meetings, tons of new fans. And I, I didn't capitalize on that. Not that. I didn't do the work. It just I didn't break through in that moment into, the, into a meaningful next project. And it was, it, was, uh, it was a bummer, but it was also just a really difficult time for, for everybody. I mean, I mm. met I was at some screenwriting panel, and I met a guy who had written, like, he sort of expected, like, three million bucks. And he was like, "Yeah, I haven't worked in a year and a half." Wow! And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It was just—it was a really difficult time, and I think it goes to show that you know things are better now. They're, you know, they're not—they're still not making as many movies, movies as they used to, but they're buying more scripts. Studios are developing more things. There's definitely more energy um, mm. around you know town, and it's just a matter—the lesson I think in perseverance, the lesson in kind of understanding that this business is difficult, I and mean, sometimes it's just it's a rough moment and you kind of have to wait it out and you have to keep doing the work. But, you know, timing is a huge part of the industry. So I, I learned some big lessons there in the, um, the moments after pillars. You know? wow.
1: And and so was that when you thought about working in TV and, and uh, did, who, how did the white collar thing happen? Well,
0: what happened was it was right around, I think before Even Killers came out. I, I, I'd i been a fan of TV for a while. I'd been thinking about TV. I kind of knew that that's something I wanted to try. And it was just a moment of life. not the right time? So right before Killers, I took some meetings and ended up pitching a show around town. And, and then I think right after Killers, I pitched another show. And basically, I went through two pitch seasons where I was pitching a show and pitching different shows. And people loved my ideas. They loved me in the room. There was just something about my pitch that wasn't connecting, that wasn't selling, that, mm. you know? And so it was like one of those where I kind of had a moment of, uh, just a moment of truth my, myself last year where I was like, I need to figure out like what, what's, what's missing in this in, in this puzzle. And so I'm like, well, how about I write a pilot? Because A, I've never done that, Spec pilot. Never did a spec pilot. I should do that, A, so that the first time I get paid to write a pilot, I'm not, you know, on my first time. And B... It's, it's just a good practice. I hope to understand, you know, the structure better. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working on this idea for a uh, a robot movie and my manager at the time was like, hey, you know, here's, let's take a robot and let's let." and he basically pitched me an idea of how to, you know, of a, a TV show, a robot, a, a, a robot pop show. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I've been, you know, I've been studying, you know, about nanobots and I've been studying about corporations and and kind of put together this, this vision of, of how the show was going to work. And it kind of clicked for me. I literally, I wrote it in like two weeks. Wow. I wrote it, I wrote, I boarded it in a week. I wrote my first draft in a week. And uh, I got a really good response. And I mean, unfortunately, my manager and I had been together for 10 years. We'd come up together. Uh, right, right after I wrote that, we we parted ways. Oh, no. So so like the person who'd come in on my side the whole time, we just all of a sudden it's just, you know, I have my agents who are outstanding. I've been, I'm with I'm Both and, um, Adam Levine signed me back when, he, when it was an endeavor. And, uh, he's been my, he's been my, uh, my guy, you know, my, my champion for several years now. And, you know, he's, uh, uh, one of the agents they just promoted Zach Carlisle is, uh, fantastic. And, you know, they're all big fans of my, uh, of my pilot. And they just, you know, they were just like, they just expose it to the town and see what happens. And, uh, and so uh, I ended up getting, you know, I use this word fans a lot. And, you know, I ended up getting a fan at uh, Fox Television Studios. Mm. And so, uh, you know, Matt Lowe's had read it and really liked it. And, and I had taken a few meetings on it, but like Matt was really passionate about it. And Matt had also, like, his company had just bought a similar themed show. They just bought, uh, you know, some sort of robot show that basically made it impossible to also buy mine. So he's like, I oh, I love it, we can't buy it, come on in, we'll meet. And so I did the the general meeting where you sit there and we'd see if liked each other. And we, we hung out quite a while. We we hit it off and it was, you know, before any anytime before you go into a meeting, you see what shows they've made or and it was like and I was literally a white collar fan from the first episode, my lady and I have seen the entire run of the show. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those moments where I could be totally truthful and honest and go, Hey, I'm a huge white white collar fan And he's yeah. like, Wow, so am I and and so we talked about the show for a while, and and it was definitely the show that fit like my like my tone, the way I write. Mm-hmm. You could see in my pilot, oh yeah, you'd be a good fit for that show. And he's like, well, I'll, you know, I'll try and show it to Jeff Easton, who's you know the creator of a, of, a, of a White Collar and executive producer. And I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, people say things to me all the time. And I'm like, sure
2: that's
0: to <laughs> the boss of one of your hit shows. Okay, maybe. And then. Eight months later, I get the call that like they, uh, they see Jeff had sold another pilot to USA. They were about to go into production at the exact same time as what you know the pilot and White Collar were in the shoot at the same time, and you know it was just, there was a lot of a lot of work happening all at once. And they just you know after two years of having virtually the exact same writing staff of White Collar, they were like you know we think we might want to bring. You know, one more one more voice into the room just to help with the workload. Wow! And, uh, yeah, and so I, uh, they, you know, I, I had a meeting with uh, uh, the number two over there, uh, Mark Goffman, the co-executive producer, and we sat down for an hour. And I came back and sat down with Jeff for an hour. And like three days later, they gave me a call, and and I got the job.
1: Wow! Very very yeah. cool. Well, I think we've uh, we've. We've covered a couple of things that we're going to be talking about in the topic section. And I think this would be a good time to segue uh, toward that. Um, One of the things you you had sent me was you said that your story was an interesting look at personal branding. Um, Why don't we expand on that here? Um, What do you mean by that? You touched on it a little bit. But um, what do you feel that represents for
0: you? For me, I I think it's a matter... It's learning to not hate the idea of being in a box. And I think maybe, I think there's a a big problem with the lingo we use in this industry, like the concept of the box. Like you need to be in a box. That just, that imagery is confining. Like I don't want to be stuck in a box and can't get out. And so I think the lingo is what makes things like that difficult. I think personal branding I think it's a little more friendly and a little more understandable in the sense that it's just like, I want people to know what they're getting, you know, if they meet with me, if they read me, if they want to hire me, you know, what am I, what am I bringing to the table? And I'm like, if you, if you have, you know, an ensemble medical show, I'm not your guy. Cause that's Mm. just not what I do. Most importantly, it's not what I like. I think a lot of what we, a lot of what we bring in our personal brand is not, not only what we're good at in our writing, but also it's just a reflection of our personal taste. Like, what do you like to watch? What do you like to read? You know, for me, it's like, I like, I like action, but I like my action to be character driven. You know, I like genre, but I can't just do straight genre with like zero characters. So it's mm. like, I need, you know, I need, you know, fully fleshed out characters. I need a sense of humor. I don't like really gritty stuff that has zero humor in it. So it's like, I want, you know, a sense of humor. I want, you know, I'm, I'm a romantic at heart, so it's like, I love. You know, I love you know, I love stories. That's you you C story. That's just that's the kind of stuff that I watch. That's what I like, and so that's what I bring to the table as a writer. And I feel like the more that people can understand that about what a writer brings to the table, the easier time to kind of they can kind of they can get past the Are you going to be a good fit for this? So mm. it was, it really it really meant a lot to me that like I took a, I took some. I took a few generals, I think, right after White Collar happened. I think they were kind of, like, left over from... The, once the show really got into gear, I, I stopped taking meetings because we was working too hard. But I, I had a couple meetings in there. I can't remember why. But I told people, like, hey, I got a job in White Collar. And everybody that had read me and knew me and were a fan of me, they were all like, oh, that's a good fit.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, they knew
0: the show, they knew me as a writer, and that made sense in their head. And that meant that that was, like, a good step for me. That was, like, people... The fact that it wasn't like an out of the box thing, they were. It just meant that I was that it was just the right path for me and a right move for me. And and you know, and and that's I think you know at the executive level, at the you know at the network level, that that's what they look for. Like, what's the right fit? You know, because nobody wants the nobody wants you know the guy who writes you know period romantic dramas all of a sudden be working on their fun you know, con man at the eye show, you know. Uh sometimes, I I think there's, I think there's, I think sometimes a person in a completely different genre can bring energy to a different genre, and and I think sometimes that works out. But generally, they just want to know, is this person going to fit? Is this person going to be part of what we're trying to do? Mm. And I think making making that decision as easy as possible for people is part of our job as being professional writers, is to help them understand how to hire us.
1: Well and and you mentioned something interesting along the way in in both um killers and uh and the other pilot that you were writing you you mentioned that because it was your thing it just flowed it, like you you said it wrote you wrote them very quickly they came out easy yeah. you were excited about it that passion came across to people i imagine that's all fitting along the same lines
0: Absolutely yeah there's something about I think it's, you can't write for any other reason than it's something you're excited to do. If you write something because of the market, if you're chasing the market and you're trying to write something that's not authentic to yourself, even if it's a good career move, even if it's what everybody's buying right now, if it's not authentic to yourself, it's not, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to have, you know, a successful, you know, time writing it. You're not going to enjoy writing it. And I think at the end of the day, people aren't going to enjoy reading it. You know, I thought about it today. I'm like, wow, found footage is, is hot. People are selling them. There are guys that are selling multiple scripts in that. You know, I can be a fan of found footage or stuff that I like. I'm friends with all the guys who made the Blair Witch Project. These guys are geniuses. They've started this incredible thing that's, you know, really evolved. And I'm like, I'm not the guy who writes that kind of stuff.
2: <laughs> and it's
0: just like, that's just a market. I'm just not in the mood to chase Mm. because even though I, sometimes I enjoy writing it it's not where my heart is it's not authentic to me mm. and I think it's really important I think especially when when you finally start breaking in as a professional you're just you want to work on everything mm-hmm. You any, yeah, any jobs anytime anybody would call me in I'd be like oh, I gotta work on that I gotta pitch on that I gotta because it's just like you're just so excited to have the opportunity to work and I think killer's Honestly, because of that downtime a little bit after killers, it's just the industry kind of contracting. It kind of forced me to go, you know what? I can afford to take a moment and only work in the stuff that really matters to me. And you really get to who I am as a, as a writer and, you know, as, a, as an artist. And what am I going to bring to the table? And, you know, just be very choosy about, you know, where I put my energy. Because there's only, you only have so much time. You only have so much energy. You only have so many, you know, Hours in the day, so you should put it towards the stuff that really means something to you, and not the stuff that you think might get you a job or might sell. It's like, you know, it, it, it's about making those hard choices. But I think that's what defines this as professionals.
1: Mm. And you mentioned as well, um, tied to that, uh, this this idea of building fans, um, and that you're speaking primarily fans of your your work, right? But uh, how yeah. how much? Uh, would you say that things like social media are a, a part of that, or is this something different?
0: Well, let me let me, let me differentiate. There's, there, I think there's two types of fans. I mean, there, there is yet fans of your work. So there's fans, people that you know like my films, people that are fans of white collar, who then like, oh, you're, in, you're in the new you're the new white collar writer. You know, I've connected with a lot of white collar fans over Twitter, which is amazing because they're a very you know. They're just a very excited bunch, and they just you know they're really you know a huge part of the show's success, of course. But a lot of when I talk about fans, I talk about fans in the industry, mm. and I think cause, you know in order to produce films and, and TV and to build fans as far as viewers and people that can get excited about you know watching what you do, you first have to build fans within the industry. And at that level, I'm talking executives and talking producers, directors, people that become fans of what you do
2: mm.
0: because. And this happened, I I did an online chat recently, somebody Mm. mentioned, I was talking about my story and somebody was like really sad, I can just feel the sadness coming to the computer where they're like, so so it really is a who you know kind of business. Mm. And that's a idea that I hear a lot, which is like the quote, it's who you know, and that people who say that generally feel that they don't know anybody. And so they feel like they're on the outside because they don't know anybody. And I'd like to get rid of the whole, it's a who you know business. Because mm-hmm. there are plenty of people that go to parties and play poker and play basketball and meet people and they just kind of smooth the way to the top. And some of those people are ex- successful, excuse me, extremely successful. Some of those people, maybe, I'm sorry, some of those people are extremely talented. Some, yeah, maybe not as much, <laughs> but they, they have a great social game and they, they, they are able to create, you know, successful careers based on that. You know, I'm not that kind of guy who meets a lot of people. You know, I have like a, a group of friends and I don't, you know, I don't put it this way. I'm terrible at basketball. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is like, instead of being like concerned about, oh, do I know enough people and, you know, who do I know? It's like I'm building fans. So every time I take a general meeting, somebody's read something I've read, I've, I've written and they enjoyed it. They want to get to know me. So I sit down with those people and, at the end of the meeting, if they like me and I like them, or we like what each other's companies do, then we can, you know, talk later. You know, the idea is that I built a fan, mm. and every time I write something, I want that person to read my new thing, and I want to keep in touch with that person, whether it's through email, through social media, you know, you know, you know, going to Sundance. <laughs> Honestly, I go to Sundance, and I just, I bump into lots of executives that I know there, and it's like just that way to kind of keep and keep your face in front of them, and 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 it's really about cultivating fans because everybody starts out not knowing anybody Hmm. and if you write stuff that people like if they meet you and you're a smart person and a nice person and you're easy to get along with then they become a fan and then over the course of years and you know your career then you know people and so instead of thinking about oh I'm an insider I know all these people now it's not just cultivated fans you know and they're friends too but they're good fans they love what I do but I'm fans of theirs too and that's. That gives me a basis to figure out, you know, who do I want to work with? Mm. You know, am I going to make X amount of movies in my career? Who are the the execs I'm really excited to meet? You know, one of the first, when I started taking all my studio general meetings very early in my career, one of the first executives I met was Ty Duncan, who was working, he was working um, for a big director at the time in the development staff, you know, moved through multiple, you know, jobs and ended up, you know, working for producer Paul Schiff, who ended up producing there, I believe. So Ty was an executive producer on my first film. Years after I met him, I wow. was an early an early fan, and we got to make a movie together, which is awesome. And that's I think that's to me, there's nothing schmoozy or crappy about that. There's just like you know, we were genuine, we were genuine fans of each other, and we waited and we you know worked hard and got to make a movie together. And that's I feel a positive thing with business should be nervous about or scared of or feel that we're on the outside or it's like anybody can make fans you just have to be a good writer and be a pleasant person to hang out with
1: well and and, and that brings up a, a great point I, I know for me I've got uh, 175 TV credits now and and uh, the the older I get in this industry the more it becomes about the people I want to work with
0: oh yeah yeah did you say 175 yeah Congratulations!
1: That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, one. with with television, it's not like feature films. Like you can burn through a lot of them pretty quickly. But but yeah, yeah I mean, it's absolutely. it's uh it I I've taken shows because of um the show and not right. like the people that I was working with, and it becomes a grind. I can yeah. uh, I when I choose a show because it's the people I like to work with, I have a blast.
0: Absolutely, and it's like I I I a casting director that I worked with back in Orlando. She used to teach workshops and she would tell actors it's like by the time you get the callbacks everybody at the callback can do the job mm. then you're starting to think well of all these people who do I want to hang out with for a day
2: yeah.
0: and that's and that and it's that starts to really make sense when you you know as a writer getting into the industry especially in TV like in features there's there's definitely some of that in features but they spend a lot less time with you Features, because you're working at home and may or may not be able to set it's a whole different world TV I mean I just, I just did my my first job in TV, and it's, you know, there were many people interviewing for, you know, my position, and I sat down with Jeff Easton and, I, and on my, you know, my, my meeting with him, and I started kind of burn through my bio in five, like the five-minute version of it that I'd done a million times in a million generals, so I figured out, oh, I'm going to touch the things they want to hear, and then we'll get into whatever else, and Jeff stopped me, and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay, Now what movies were you watching in high school? <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, let's slow down." Yeah. And what I ended up doing was Jeff and I just talked about our lives for for an hour about like what movies did we love growing up, how do we, what crazy paths did we take to end up where we were in that moment. And it was a really refreshing way to do it. But then I realized also it's like he was just seeing, am I going to fit in with the groove and the energy of the people that he has in the room? And mm. and once I started my job at White Car I'm like. Gio and I are collaborators Gio, we're collaborators you know, once a month we'd meet for like a day and sit in the room together and work and we're really good friends but like in white collar I'm like I get these people 8 to 12 hours a day 5 days a week and I'm like wow if I was annoying they would Mm. be miserable so like I understood how important that moment was like not only can I do the job not only am I a good writer and can I you know bring something to the table and I pitch ideas in the room but man they're just going to spend hundreds of dollars with me and is it going to be a good fit? and that's you know i think one of the tough things of being a showrunner is figuring out the right uh you know uh the right ingredients as far as personalities and you know this you know my situation was just you know i was being added to a room where everybody already knew each other already had a you know experience working together and uh you know, luckily I'm a nice guy, so <laughs> I think I hit it off with everybody. And there, yeah. they're, they're, I can't imagine a nicer group, a, ni- a nicer uh, writers room for my first experience. I mean, everybody there is really smart and really friendly, and likes nice to laugh, and also likes to work hard. So uh, it, it it's a great room, and hopefully I was, so I think it's a good, good, addition to it.
1: Yeah, well, and, and that makes me think of I'm I just happened to be reading uh, Stephanie Palmer's "Good in a Room," and uh, uh, I, and one of the things that she talks about is is that there's a whole bunch of myths in Hollywood. One of them is this elevator pitch thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where where you're supposed to if you're getting your hair done, you're supposed to have a, a two-minute pitch or a one-minute pitch of your of your thing. And when you you get into a taxi cab that you're supposed to be pitching to every single person. And what what she says is that's just so weird. You don't know the person; they don't know you. You don't have any kind of rapport with them. Why on earth would they even want to work with you? Even if it was a good idea.
0: Yeah, I think I think the thing to take from that, uh, yeah, I think pitching complete strangers at every moment of the day—that you're right. I think that's not a uh, that's not a great recipe for uh, success. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like I like Blake Snyder and his book. I'm a huge fan of sitting Cat, and Blake was a, a wonderful man and a, a great teacher, hmm. and. Uh, you know, I prefer the way he talked about him, he would he would fish, you know, strangers in line at Starbucks, you know, just to see if their eyes were up, to see if whatever he was working on would connect with them. Mm-hmm. But what I what I take from that is like especially if you live in Los Angeles, everybody asks, what are you working on? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's your best friend who you haven't seen him in a while, sometimes it's you know acquaintances or somebody you must bump into at a party. And the thing that I think is important to take away from that is you should be able to talk about what you're working on in a short, manageable amount of time. And if you do it enough, you'll start to understand that you can do that and you can find out if your idea is working or not. Mm. Like when I was writing Killers, everybody I ran into because they knew R.R.B. was in post-work, what are you working on? And I told everybody. I had like a 30-second pitch. I didn't plan it. I didn't go, oh, here. I would just talk about it in a succinct way and it ended up being around 30 seconds and I would kind of, you know, I would rewrite the pitch over time, but everybody I pitched it to kind of lit up at the end. And mm. they'd be like, oh, that sounds cool. And this sincere And I realized from doing that, that I was on to something.
2: Mm. And
0: so now when I do it, and, you know, and, and all the time I'll meet, you know, aspiring writers. I'll meet people that work in the industry that are, you know, they may work a certain type of job in show business and they're trying to break in as a writer. Uh, and, and they'll talk about a you know, script they've been working on really hard for a long time, and they're just about ready to show it agents, and they're really excited. and I'll go, awesome, what's it about? And their eyes will flare open, and they'll get really nervous. Oh, and no. Go, and they'll go, okay, okay. It's about this guy, and wait, let me start over. Hang on, okay. So, 100 years ago, and I go, hang on. <laughs> it, it, it's not a moment, it's not a do or die moment. It's not a holy crap moment. It should be a. It should be it should be easy because you should be excited about what you're working on,
2: mm. and you
0: should be able to just kind of get to the get to the, the heart of it pretty simply because you're writing it. And I feel like a lot of times I read scripts from from you know workers, you know writers who are working to, you know to to get into the industry, and and a lot of times when I ask them what their movie's about and they really can't tell me, mm. then I'm like, well, your script's probably not ready because that's they usually go hand in hand. Usually the best scripts you read, you ask the person, what's that about? They go, like, oh man, it's about this, about this, he does this, she does this, and then they have to learn this together. And you go, oh, you get it. You understand what your story is about. Then it's going to usually work on the page. So they really, I feel they're kind of the same muscle in a sense. Well,
1: I think I think, I,
2: okay?
1: I think, I think, what you're describing and, and what Blake Snyder did is more um, like a development tool than trying to sell it, and I, um, I think I yeah. think absolutely Blake Snyder and, and and the thing when he described how he did it, it was he was never trying to sell that pitch. Uh, he wasn't Got thinking it. that this person in the in the Starbucks yeah. would be going w- would be putting this into production, but it was more a very respectful way. Hey, would you would you take two minutes to hear this and tell me what you think about it? Um, right, and which again, when you talk about sincerity, that's a very sincere thing that helps him develop his idea. Um, as compared to, I think what what a lot of people and and you see them at the conferences and and that kind of thing, it becomes this very weird thing where where they think that you are somehow going to take their idea and champion it and get it made, um, rather than it being this development and being excited I about the idea. yeah,
0: yeah I mean. Yeah, from that point of view, I mean, I never felt that, yeah, I pitched you like that, that make or break pitch in that moment in the elevator and the tap. Those moments generally don't change your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What changes your life is lots of people reading your work, lots of people loving your work. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people who want to, I'm not a big fan of the phrase breaking in, because it, it creates this image of there's this wall around Hollywood and, <laughs> and people need to break through the wall and then they're inside the wall and everything's awesome. Mm. That's not the way Hollywood works. It's like, there's, you know, levels of executives from the, you know, the, the, the brand new executive all the way up to the bosses, Jerry Bruckheimer, the guys who run the studios, all those guys. And the people at the very bottom of the ladder, all they want is to read great scripts. Hmm. You go out, when you do your first round of general meetings, you'll realize, oh, my God, these people are smart, they're excited, and they will get fired if they don't find a good script that hasn't already been bought by somebody else. Hmm. So they're, all they want is a good script. Now, the problem is, is there's only so many hours in the day, so they can't read everything. So the systems that are in place, readers, you know, the fact that they won't read scripts that aren't submitted by an agency, those systems are in place just to somehow, you know, Make it a manageable amount of material to get to. Hmm. but it's—it's it's like they want good scripts. They want you to walk in and, and and make their day with a fantastic script. And if you and if you never sold a damn thing, if you're brand new and nobody's heard of you, that's better because then they get credit or oh, their right. boss gets credit. If Jerry Bur- the intern at Jerry Burkheimer's script brings him the next Pirates to the Caribbean, then all of a sudden that intern is now an executive wow. and that intern's moving up. And that's so <laughs> yeah. it's like we're kind of working together because they need us and we need them. And but I, I just don't know how often that person's, you know, working out on a treadmill and the person next to them on the other treadmill pitches an idea and they go, oh my God, that's amazing. You to my office. It, it, it's just more about, you know, so it's like that, that idea of like, oh my God, this is the one person that's going to change my career. I I had that feeling when I met my first couple of executives, and then I realized, oh, I need to meet 30 executives Mm. to find the five true fans that are going to really say, Bob, I'm a fan, man. I want your next script. I want to know what you're doing. You know, and that's, it's more of an, it's a numbers game, but it's also like that's a doable thing, because if you write good scripts, people are going to want to read them. Mm. I feel a lot of people that get kind of, they get shut down at the, uh, you know, at the, at the reader level or they're not getting represented their stuff's not getting sent on. They're getting shut down at that level. They feel like they're outside the wall and they can't get in. And a lot of times it's because they're not ready because their scripts aren't good enough because they're not, they haven't written, written, they haven't written enough. They haven't learned enough about the business. They just, there's just a, I think people have an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation of how long it takes. Hmm. And, you know, I wrote, geez, I think my. I wrote at least a dozen scripts before I wrote mean, anything, you know, I think i like optioned my eighth script and, you know, Aero Breed was like my 15th script or something and it's wow. like, it, it, it takes a while. So people, they write that first script and go, how do I sell it? And I just go, write four more. And
2: then you
0: <laughs> And that's just, you know, and that's just, I think there's a lot of myths about how to get into the industry, quote, break in. There's a lot of myths and some of it's true and some of it's just the stories that are told and amongst other writers that, can't seem to, you know, get a, get, you know, get a foot in the industry. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's important for, you know, to, to, to talk about these things and figure out what's true and what's not. And I think, you know, one of the things that's, one of the things that's true is that they want scripts. They want scripts very, very badly They want good scripts. Hmm. But, you know, it's just a matter of how do you get to them and if your scripts, if, you know, if they respond to them, if if they're good enough for them to truly respond to them in the way you want. so I'm rambling, but. They're passionate about this about this thing. It's oh a, absolutely it's yeah and
1: and and it's important to know, even when you have those thirty meetings and find those five fans of your work, they don't necessarily they have the ability to buy what you have right now. those fans will help you if, if with perhaps with your your next project or they'll they'll have their eyes open their ear to the ground to to look for things like white collar coming up or or that kind of thing
0: absolutely absolutely. That's the thing, it's like, and that, I think that you're right, that's an amazing point, which is like, everybody just wants to sell a script, they just want a person to go, oh, this is the script, we're going to buy it, we're going to make it, it just doesn't, it's so hard to get anything made, <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's it's stages, you need to make your fans, they need to, you know, keep their, like, just like you said, they need to keep their ears open for stuff that's, that's right for you, they need, you know, sometimes you can develop scripts with executives and, and. It's about building a career and it's like there's multiple stages to it. It's just not like you get through a door and all of a sudden Hollywood opens up to you. Hmm. There's just you know, you you there's many doors to get through and each one has its own problems and its own challenges, but then, you know, each one gets you a little closer to what we ultimately want, which is to get movies made, to, to work in television, to you know, to actually, you know, work on a show where they're shooting episodes and it's gonna be on television. It's like those that, that that's that's the Holy Grail of what we want. And there's many, many steps to getting there. And, and those steps, that's how you become a good writer is getting to those steps. Like mm. working with notes, working with executives, working with the director, developing projects, developing pitches. How many pitches have I done that never went anywhere? <laughs> uh, or you know, stuff like jobs I pitched for that I didn't get the job, or I did get the job and wrote the script and the studio decided not to make it for whatever reason. Every time you do one of those, You know, it's not a failure. It's just I just learned something on this particular journey, and that helps you become a good writer. When you've been doing that for ten years, and you look back and you go, "Oh, I've written thirty scripts. I've pitched fifty movies." That just helps you be the writer that you, you know, the professional writer that you are at a certain point.
1: Very, very cool. Well, we we are going a bit long here, but I do want to talk about um, white collar and. Being in the room for the first time, and tell me a little bit about uh, what you learned about about the room etiquette and and your experience on that show.
0: I had um, my 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 experience was different because they actually brought me in after the season had already started. Hmm. So I I literally walked into the room, met everybody, sat down on the, on the couch. We had a ring of of couches in the writers' room looked up at a board that was like two-thirds finished wow. and like realized they're breaking act, I think they were in the middle of act four. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I've literally just been thrown in the pool. Luckily, I got some excellent advice from a friend of mine who's a uh, very successful uh, 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 comedy writer and show creator uh, uh, in the half-hour world. But he, he gave me excellent advice, which was uh, take your time Nobody expects you to sit down the first day and start pitching ideas that are going to make the board. So uh, I did a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions. Where I didn't understand things, it, you know, just, you start to figure out very quickly that there's every show. You just kind of have that list of the way the way the show runs, you know, the way things happen, you know. And I, in white collar, basically every act there's either a con or a heist. Not a big one, not like let's rob a bank. But there's like we need a piece of information, and we need to get it. And we're not the kind of show where we put the person in a, uh, you know, in the uh, interrogation room and get the information from that. We usually trick people into giving us the information. Hmm. So that's a beat, and almost every single act has a beat like that. And if the writers would look at the, you know the board, and they would kind of go, ah, we don't have a con on act three, so they would figure out a way to do that. And, and it's just you start to learn the rules very quickly about how the show works, what are the mechanics of this particular show, in, in my instance, like, Paula. so the first few weeks, I was literally just, I was listening, and I pitched in ideas where I could, but it was about uh, just understanding the mechanics of this show and and what this show needs to run. And um, and so I, you know, as far as etiquette, it was, it was a matter of being helpful where I could, but also not being afraid to just listen and learn. And then as the, you know, as the show progressed, you know, we got busy and all of a sudden writers would peel off to go work on scripts. And now the writers would go to New York to produce their episodes. And there was one week when it was me and two other writers and breaking (laughs) an episode with three writers is really hard. And those are the moments where I was like, you know what, time to step up. You know, these people are totally capable. They've been doing this way longer than me. They know what they're doing. But if I can just do whatever I can to help carry the load. You know, even if I, if I thought a bad idea that inspires their great idea, then I'm doing my job. And those were, those are key moments where I just, I felt like I was really starting to become part of the team because I just mm. stepped up and just, especially in those moments when all of a sudden there's just not enough of us in the room. We have to just, we have to develop. We have to, we have to break story. And so it's, I think it's kind of a gradual process to, uh, to, to get to that point when all of a sudden you just, you know, the work is coming. Fast and furious, and notes are coming and drafts
1: are coming. You just need to, you know, um, be pitching in as much as you can. Hmm. Very, very cool. Well, those are great yeah. tips, and uh, we definitely have come to the end of our time here. Um, but I really, really appreciate you, uh, giving so much wisdom. And I think definitely uh, a lot of these myths they, they perpetuate themselves, um, yes. and they perpetuate in in books and conferences and things like that, and and people telling other people. It's nice to have a chance to debunk these myths, and hopefully they'll be they'll remain debunked. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's let's do some debunking. Let's do that. Let's all let's all do that together.
1: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, best of luck to you, Bob, and uh, and I'll send you an email when uh, this podcast goes up. All right. Thanks, Dre. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV writer podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.